Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, April 20th. Coming up, Ralph Jarl's shooting last week sparked outrage and more attention on Missouri's self-defense laws. But legal experts don't believe those statutes would help Andrew Lester escape a conviction. You can't shoot someone if they don't pose a threat, full stop. If no one is threatening you or they're pointing a water gun at you, you can't shoot them. You do have to walk away. We'll hear how those laws work and how they might not apply in the Jarl case. Plus, cardiac arrest is relatively rare in childhood, but when it happens, chances of survival are low. Missouri is one of several states considering legislation to ensure schools are more prepared to respond. Every child should come home from school. They should not die at school. And so schools need to be prepared for that. But first, some headlines. 84-year-old Andrew Lester, accused of shooting Ralph Yarl last week, pleaded not guilty yesterday in Clay County Court. KCUR's Savannah Holly Bates reports Yarl's attorney has his sights set on federal hate crime charges. Andrew Lester pleaded not guilty to first-degree assault and armed criminal action for shooting 16-year-old Ralph Yarl twice in the head and arm. Yarl's attorney, Lee Merritt, says it's frustrating that Lester remains out on bond until his next court date and that they're pursuing federal hate crime charges. Before I even made it to Kansas City, we reached out to the Department of Justice and we thought this is something the DOJ should be looking into. It's under investigation. They've received our complaint and now they're looking into it. Merritt says he wants Lester to spend the rest of his life in prison. He says Yarl is doing well, but still working on developing his speech and walking. Clinics in Missouri that provide gender-affirming care to transgender people are opening their appointment books to as many new patients as possible before the end of the month. Sarah Fentum reports that's when an emergency regulation from Attorney General Andrew Bailey places limits on who can get hormones, surgery, and other medical interventions. Bailey says he can put the restrictions in place because gender-affirming care is experimental, acclaimed doctors and activists dispute. Parts of the rule do not immediately apply to those already getting care. Planned Parenthood officials say its Missouri clinics have scheduled more than 200 new patients this week. Harley Cameron had their first appointment at the organization's Central West End Clinic on Monday. They were planning to wait to start low-dose hormones, but say they needed to take action quickly. This was the best option for me to make sure that I'm able to have the capability to receive the care that will make me comfortable in my body. The rule expires in February. It prohibits patients from receiving gender-affirming medical care without 15 hours of therapy and three consecutive years of gender dysphoria. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly has signed a bill into law that classifies Uber and Lyft drivers as independent contractors and not employees. Daniel Cottle reports. The bill was introduced this session on behalf of Uber. A spokesperson for the rideshare company says it already views its drivers as independent contractors, and the new law simply clarifies that. The spokesperson says Uber drivers furnish their own vehicles and provide their own gas. They also don't work set hours and are free to drive for other companies. Some labor unions in the state oppose the new law. They say it'll provide Uber and Lyft an unfair advantage against their competitors, which have to pay into programs like Medicare and unemployment insurance. States like Florida and Michigan have recently passed laws with similar language, and some other states like California have seen movements to classify Uber and Lyft drivers as regular employees. We'll be back after this.
It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. The shooting of Ralph Yarl has brought national attention to Missouri's Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground laws, and if they could be used as a possible defense for Andrew Lester. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum spoke with St. Louis University law professor Anders Walker about whether those defenses could be viable. The Castle Doctrine is a rule that if you are in your home and someone threatens you by coming in, you don't have to run out the back door. You can use lethal force to stop an intruder. And what is the difference between Castle Doctrine and Stand Your Ground? Well, not much. They're basically the same rule. Uh, You don't have to run away. If someone is threatening you, Stand Your Ground applies outside your home. That could apply in the street. If someone puts a gun in your face, you can shoot them. You don't have to say, could I run away? If you're in your home, you don't have to run out the back door. Same basic idea. You have a little more protection in your home but otherwise it's very similar. Most states have either a stand-your-ground law or a castle doctrine or a mixture of both. But there are some states that don't have either, and they have what's called a duty to retreat. So that was the old rule, and the old rule was you can use lethal force if you need to, if you absolutely have to use lethal force to prevent serious injury or death to yourself or someone else. If you don't need to, then you need to run away. You need to retreat. You need to close the door. You need to drive somewhere else. States started to say, well, that isn't right. If you're in your home, you shouldn't have to run out the back door. And then states started to say, you know, even if you're on the street and someone points a gun at you, you shouldn't have to make the split-second decision, can I safely run away? You should be able to stand your ground. And so... States like Missouri have both rules, and I think it might break down politically. I think it's more popular among conservatives to stand your ground, and I think the Second Amendment generally is more popular among conservatives. It seems like these types of laws have been in place for literally centuries, but it seems like it was a relatively recent development that states adopted castle doctrine, stand your ground. I think so. I think a lot of it is political. Uh, Even the old self-defense rule, which dates back to ancient English common law, was you can use lethal force to defend yourself if your life is at risk. You can't use it if it's not necessary. You can't shoot people who do not threaten you. And a lot of it is political theater. A lot of it, I think, is um, not really that different. You can't shoot someone if they don't pose a threat, full stop. If no one is threatening you or they're pointing a water gun at you, you can't shoot them. You do have to walk away. And I think that gets to the Kansas City example where from the facts of the case so far, a 16-year-old went up to somebody's door, rang the doorbell, thought it was somebody else's house, and then was shot twice. And what I've heard from people is neither Castle Doctrine nor Stand Your Ground would apply because the 16-year-old Ralph Yarl did not pose an imminent danger to this person. I think that's right. Now, a defense attorney would argue this was late at night. Uh, This was an older gentleman who may have been afraid. Maybe it was an aggressive knock. We don't know. However, in cases like this before, and there have been two, one in Louisiana, one in South Carolina, homeowners shot trick-or-treaters. Both were prosecuted. 
Under the theory, if someone rings your doorbell or knocks on your door, you don't have to answer. If you're afraid, just stay in your house. Don't shoot unless they kick in the door because it might be a kid. It seems that if Andrew Lester, the man who was charged in the Ralph Yarl shooting, ends up being convicted by a jury and either the stand your ground or castle doctrine defenses really just don't fly. It seems that that would showcase that there are limits to both of those things and that does not just give somebody an unlimited right to shoot somebody. Yeah, I think that's right. If someone rings your doorbell in the middle of the night or knocks, don't shoot. Wait. See what happens. If they kick in the door, then I think you're uh, okay to use lethal force. So this could be a test case even if... Well, even if the jury votes to acquit, it's still going to be a test case because there's going to be a huge amount of controversy and media attention. So we'll just wait to see. I suspect that uh, the gentleman is going to go to jail. That was St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum and St. Louis University law professor Anders Walker. Earlier this year, millions watched in shock as the NFL's Damar Hamlin went into sudden cardiac arrest on live TV. His life was saved, and many credit that to a quick response plan and a machine called an AED. Lawmakers in several states, including Missouri, are now considering legislation to require AEDs in schools. But Elizabeth Gabriel reports for Side Effects Public Media, mandating these devices is a complicated decision. Jake West grew up in LaPorte, Indiana, not far from Lake Michigan. His mother, Julie West, remembers him fondly. He was just kind, and he brought other people in. He was the type of kid that if someone wasn't included, he was going to make sure that child was included. This is how he was from the time he was little. As an athlete, he passed all of his physicals, and he didn't show signs of underlying heart problems. He was a healthy kid, until one day, he wasn't. When Jake was 17, he collapsed after running a play on the football field. School staff did CPR and student trainers jumped in to help out. But he died in September 2013 from an undetected heart condition. Every child should come home from school. They should not die at school. And so schools need to be prepared for that. Incidents like these are rare. But when they do happen, they often end fatally. Only about 11% of children who suffer from sudden cardiac arrest survive. Experts like Dr. Kristen Burns with the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute said minutes, even seconds count when tending to a cardiac arrest victim. One of the most important things that promotes survival is early CPR and AED use. She's referring to an automated external defibrillator, or an AED. It's a device that sends a shock to someone's heart in order to help keep them alive. The machine provides written instructions for those who are hard of hearing and verbal commands in different languages, like this. When patient's chest is bare, remove the white square package from lid of AED. I mean, you heard how easy that to use that AED. A child could use it that could understand those directions. That's why West is in favor of the legislation lawmakers introduced during the current General Assembly to mandate all schools to have AEDs during extracurricular activities, like athletics, marching band, and theater practices and performances. It would establish a goal of accessing the devices within minutes. Laws in nearly two dozen states already have guidance for AEDs or mandates similar to the one Indiana is considering. But mandating schools to use these devices is a complicated decision. 
That's according to Richard Lazar, the president of Readiness Systems with the AED Law Center. People ask me all the time, should we get AEDs if we don't have to? And at a binary level, it is in most places less risky to not have AEDs than it is to have AEDs. Recently, there have been multi-million dollar lawsuits across the country after students died from cardiac arrest while at school. In some cases, the facilities had AEDs, but failed to use them. And these scenarios could deter some districts. What if they didn't have AEDs in the first place? Would they still be facing a lawsuit? That's why advocates have been insistent that it's not just about having an AED on the premises. And the Indiana bill would require schools to make an emergency cardiac response plan so they know where a defibrillator is located and how to use it. When Jake West died, there was an AED on campus, but it was in the coach's office and not easily accessible. Here's Jake's mom, Julie West, again. And like I said, I have said this many times, I don't judge or blame anyone in Jake's situation because we didn't, we just didn't know any better, but now we do. Now, Indiana is one of roughly nine states to introduce AED and or cardiac response plan legislation for schools this year. West wants lawmakers to approve the bill before more lives are lost on school grounds. Without a doubt, lives will be saved. Jake would still be here. My son would be 26 today, here on earth, not in heaven. For Side Effects Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Gabriel. Side Effects Public Media is a regional reporting collaboration focused on public health. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more coverage of the Ralph Yarl case and to read Elizabeth's story on AEDs, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive.